Alright, what's up guys? Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is of course your host Joe Blair. This is SGR number 68 and today we are continuing with our AFC East preview. We are breaking down the Miami Dolphins today. I've done enough dilly-dallying and explaining in the last two episodes. I think we are ready to jump right into this one. The Dolphins are actually, this is an episode that I've been thinking about how I want to go about it. <clears throat> Excuse me, basically the entire offseason. Um, the Dolphins are a really fun team to me this year. Uh, they, I expect them to look a lot different than they did last year, which is part of the reason I think this episode should be an exciting one. Uh, main reason is for the uh, turnover at the coaching staff. Um, you know, before we break down exactly what happened with this team over the last 12 months, can we just hop in a time machine real quick back to January when, you know, all the headlines around this team um, were the rumors that Brian Flores had been essentially bribed by the front office and ownership to tank football games. Um, it is crazy how that storyline has completely disappeared with all the other chaos this offseason. And, you know, here we are in July, six months later, and there's a shit ton of optimism about this Dolphins team. The fantasy community is really rising on this team and this offensive potential. I myself am really curious to see what Mike McDaniel looks like as a head coach. Um, personally, you know, I was a big Brian Flores fan as well. We might as well just start talking about what this team did last year. They finished 9-8. and eight but they started the season one and seven and finished on an eight and one uh, winning streak, which is really incredible. And I think it shows what a good coaching job that it takes to get a team to really rally over the second half of a season when you're off to that shitty of a start. I mean, one and seven, you are losing the locker room big time at that point. And, you know, Tua had some injuries, you know, there was some inconsistency at the quarterback position and, um, you know, some bad breaks earlier in the season. But, you know, this team finished strong. It looked like they were in position to compete for a wild card at the end of the season. And that's all you can ask after a one and seven start. Um, but again, you know, Flores, I guess, wasn't the right fit. There was, um, I guess, you know, obviously some discrepancy in the vision of this team between the coaching staff and the ownership and front office. Um, I had heard that Flores was not the biggest Tua fan as well, which I know he's a bit of a polarizing character and we'll talk about him plenty in this episode, but um, you know, here we are, here we are. We got head coach Mike McDaniel uh, taking over and uh, you know, we'll see. This is a new look Dolphins team. So again, last year, they finished 9-8. and eight. They covered at a 9-7-1 and one against the spread record, which is 56.3%. Slightly profitable, but nothing special. Nothing to write home about. Um, they finished third in the AFC East, missed out on the playoffs, finishing ninth in the AFC. The offense was 22nd in points per game, only 20.1 points per game, and 25th in yards per game at only 307. Defense, middle of the pack, uh, 16th in points per game at 21.9 and 15th in yards per game at 337.5. Uh, the turnover margin, they were exactly uh, broken even, zero plus or minus turnover margin. Uh, that was tied for exactly middle of the pack, 16th in the NFL. So nothing really too crazy. Below average offense, average defense. Um, you know, like I said, you know, the head coach, I think the move is to try and really upgrade that offense. His name's Mike McDaniel. He's a former offensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers. He has been under the tutelage of Mike Shanahan, uh, learning that offensive system since 2008. 
Uh, Mike McDaniel started out as an offensive assistant with the Houston Texans from 2006 to 2009. That's where he linked up with Shanahan on that coaching staff. Since there, he's just ro- he's just rode out his whole career with Shanahan. Washington from 2011 to 2013 during the RG3 days. Cleveland in 2014. Um, Atlanta in 2015 and 16. Again with Shanahan, uh, that was you know re- responsible for the the Falcons Super Bowl year and Matt Ryan's MVP. And then he's been in San Francisco ever since. Shanahan brought him over there in 2017. Um, he was the uh, 49ers run game coordinator from 2017 to 2020. He was the offensive coordinator last year, and now he gets a shot to be the head coach in Miami. You know, I'll bring it up multiple times. We don't have to spend too much time on it now, but I really think that this offense is going to translate well to the personnel they have in Miami, and I'm really excited to see um, how this guy is able. He has a very unique mind. If you guys don't know much about Mike McDaniel, watch his press conferences he doesn't come off as a normal head coach to be honest he talks a bit like a stoner the guy almost sounds high half the time he opens his mouth but if you actually listen to what he's saying and not how he's saying it he is a very smart I think intellectual thinker I think he is an absolute football nerd and he's going to be able to use the X's and O's of Shanahan's scheme to really um, maximize what he's going to be able to get out of the weapons that he has at his disposal and I think he'll be able to maximize to his skill set as well I'm really excited to see what this guy has to say. He's young. He's got a lot of uh, energy. He seems to really be able to relate to his players on a unique level. Um, again, I'm a big Brian Flores fan, um, so I was not I, I was not optimistic when they fired him, but I did like this hiring. So we'll see if it can um, you know open up the offense a little bit into his third year. The offensive coordinator here, although Mike McDaniel will be mainly responsible for that side of the ball, is a guy named Frank Smith. He's been a head, or excuse me, he's been a coach in the NFL since 2010. He was the Raiders tight end coach from 2018 to 2020, and last was seen as the running game coordinator for the Chargers this past season. Uh, defensive coordinator, um, he's actually returning. He has been with the Dolphins as a defensive coordinator since 2020, so he survived that coaching turnover. Uh, he was a New England Patriots assistant from 2006 to 2018 before joining the Miami staff in 2019. So he's got a not, lot of continuity with the personnel on this defense, and he learned under the Belichick defensive system. They'll be running a 3-4 scheme this year, and like I said, no turnover. He's been there the last three years. So that's the coaching breakdown, and I'll talk a lot more about Mike McDaniel and that San Francisco system throughout the episode, so we don't need to spend too much time there. I'd like to get into the personnel. Like I've told you guys, I'm trying to keep the pace up on these episodes. That Bills episode went too long. Um, The key losses for this Dolphins team this year, to be honest, not that many big names. I think they had a actually a very good offseason. we, uh, we can go over the names quickly here. Quarterback Jacoby Brissett is no longer on the team. He is the backup in Cleveland right now and could be seeing some significant playing time based on whatever Deshaun Watson's uh, suspension looks like. Um, we also got running back Duke Johnson no longer on the team. I believe we talked about him up in Buffalo now. Cornerback Justin Coleman. Wide receiver Mac Hollins. I actually partied with Mac Hollins um, St. Paddy's Day 2016 I think the year before he got drafted I want to say um he was wide receiver at UNC I went to West Virginia a couple uh people that he went to high school with went to West Virginia with me so we got to meet him um and you know get a little drunk so shout out Matt Collins um nice nice uh 
nice to see you still in the NFL. Good for you. All right, uh, wide receiver Albert Wilson is no longer on the team. Running back Philip Lindsay, who I honestly didn't realize was on the Dolphins last year, he's now gone as well. He's around. Well, I don't remember where he went. We'll talk about him later on one of the episodes. And then offensive tackle Jesse Davis is also no longer on this team. As far as the key additions, this is the really fun part. The Dolphins went out and spent the fourth most money in the entire NFL this offseason, third most on free agency. <clears throat> Excuse me. They probably would have led the league in free agency spending any other offseason, uh, but the Jacksonville Jaguars just went and were cutting blank jack checks to people this offseason. They actually set the record for single offseason free agency spending. So let's get into the actual names here. That's what you guys want to know. And the first one is a trade, of course, after I talk about their free agency spending. Tyreek Hill. I mean, you guys know this. Uh, the Dolphins went and sent a bunch of draft picks <clears throat> over to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs uh, for star receiver Tyreek Hill. Um, the questions are, how is Tyreek going to fit in this offense? Does Tua have the deep ball? Yada, yada, yada. We'll break it more down in the fantasy segment, but I'll let you guys know what the trade details were. Uh, Miami got Tyreek Hill and the Kansas City Chiefs got a 2022 first round pick, second round pick and fourth round pick, and then a 2023 fourth and sixth. So they gave up quite a bit, but to be honest, I don't give a shit about two-fourths and a sixth. I really don't. And I've come around to this philosophy really just over the last year or two. I don't give a shit. Like the hit rate at that point in the draft, I mean, yes, you can find good players everywhere in the draft, but the percentage, the odds of actually finding a quality starter, they're not great. Whereas if you can give up unproven, you know, maybe this asset will turn into something down the line for a, a guaranteed commodity, a guaranteed asset that will produce right now, go for it. Fuck them picks, get rid of them. They basically gave up a first and a second for Tyreek Hill, who's a game changer. I mean, sure, he's worth the first and a second i really don't care about the fourth and the fourth and the sixth don't care um who else did they add to this team offensive line got a big upgrade they grabbed the top free agent offensive lineman left tackle teron armstead from the new orleans saints he will now be the blind side for two uh well i guess he's a lefty we'll see how that works out but he's kind of the blind side anyways wide receiver cedric wilson is another guy they brought in i think it's an under the radar signing um that happened this free agency uh especially getting overshadowed by the tyreek hill trade but cedric wilson was the third receiver in the rotation for the dallas cowboys this last season he had a pretty solid season uh actually really giving some solid contributions uh during the time that Ma michael gallup and amari cooper were out of the lineup this season and uh, you know even before the Tyreek Hill trade, I was exciting about the prospect of Miami having the, the duo of Jalen Waddle and Cedric Wilson. Now they have a pretty legitimate trio there. So I think that's an under-the-radar signing, and I think he's a guy maybe not that fantasy-relevant due to lack of volume and consistency. But from a football perspective, that gives them you know a really good extra weapon on the offense. Talking about offensive weapons, they brought in three running backs this offseason. Chase Edmonds from the Arizona Cardinals, Raheem Mostert from San Francisco, obviously that connection with Mike McDaniel in the Shanahan offense, and running back Sony Michelle somehow made it onto a roster this year. That guy is, is circling the drain, to be honest. I really don't think he's relevant, but he's the third string running back on this team. Another upgrade to the offensive line, center Connor Williams from the Cowboys, quality center, will be starting for this Dolphins team. 
Um, backup quarterback is Teddy Bridgewater. He came in this offseason. Another offensive piece coming over from San Francisco. Wide receiver Trent Sherfield. We'll mention him in the fantasy breakdown just briefly. And then two last names on the defense. Outside linebacker Melvin Ingram, who was really one of the premier pass rushers in this league less than three, four years ago, is now trying to stick to rosters at this point in his career. It's kind of disappointing. He's bounced around between Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Miami over the last two years alone. Uh, we'll see if he can give some veteran, you know, situational pass rush to this team. And lastly, cornerback, uh, Kellen Crossan. Oh, two more additions. Sorry, guys. Uh, punter Thomas Morstead. And this last one, I guess I will talk about briefly. Fullback Alec Ingold. Now, I spent a lot of time talking about the fullback position on the Patriots episode, and we're going to talk about it again because I have mentioned this offense is going to look a lot different. This is going to be that zone run scheme that Kyle Shanahan has used super effectively almost his entire time in the NFL. Mike McDaniel is about to be running that shit all day. And I think that the addition of a fullback here significantly, it's like a fucking bingo right there staring you right in the face like, yeah, we're going to run the fucking ball. We brought in one of the best fullbacks in the league, Alec Ingold coming over from the Raiders. He's a guy, I mean, nobody knows fullbacks, but he's one of the better ones. So I think that's a big piece that people don't pay attention to, but you guys are going to know about it. Um, let's get into the re-signings. Just two names really quick. Outside linebacker Brandon Scarlett and tight end Durham Smythe have both been re-signed this offseason. Let's talk about the draft because I'm trying to keep my pace up. They did not have many picks. Again, they traded their first, their second, and their fourth this year to Kansas City for Tyreek Hill. They had also traded a first-round pick from this year to Philadelphia. Um, if you guys want to hop in a time machine again real quick, 2021 draft, Philly was picking six, Miami was picking 12. They flipped picks so that Miami could go up to six and draft Jalen Waddle, and they gave us their 2022 first for it. So they already were down a first-round pick. They had to. They gave their other one to Kansas City. So what I'm saying, this team did not have many draft picks this year. I'm only going to give you two names to really talk about because I don't really dive that deep into the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds of drafts. So in the third round, that was their first pick, linebacker Channing Tindall out of University of Georgia. That Georgia defense this year, historically great in college football. So um, I don't know much about that specific player, but I know that he's a linebacker from UGA that is probably not that well known just because he played with guys like Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker, and that defense was fast as shit. So we'll see how that plays out. And then round four, wide receiver Eric. Oh, man, I didn't prepare for this one. Ezukama. Yeah, I feel, I feel okay about that. But, um, yeah, that one caught me off guard. He came from Texas Tech. Don't know much about him. Sorry, guys. Um, but that's another receiver in the room. So that's really the personnel decisions. I mean, I forgot to mention, uh, along with the Tyreek Hill trade, they gave him a four-year $120 million extension, making him uh, the highest-paid wide receiver in NFL history. Um, I think he just one-upped Devontae Adams slightly. Um, so that's something to be aware of. He'll be stuck in Miami for quite some time. Um, let's get into the breakdown. Let's get into the preview for this season. We got the personnel out of the way. Let's talk schedule for a minute. They have the 19th ranked strength of schedule, 19th easiest. Preseason, Buccaneers, Raiders, Eagles. We don't care. 
The schedule to me breaks down into three very specific chunks for this team. I didn't write down any key matchups because they're pretty easy to identify as we go through the schedule. So rapid fire, uh, week one, home versus Patriots, week two, at Ravens, home versus Buffalo, at Bengals, at Jets, home versus Vikings, home versus Steelers, at Lions, at Bears, home versus Browns, home versus Texans, at 49ers, at Chargers, at Bills, home versus Packers, at Patriots, home versus Jets. So I know we go through this quick every time. First four weeks, Patriots, Ravens, Bills, Bengals. That's tough. That's pretty fucking tough. Like, I, I picked on the Patriots episode that they beat the Patriots week one, but you could be looking at one and three after those games between the Ravens, Bills, and Bengals. Those all look like playoff teams to me. And then we've got this middle stretch that is not too difficult. I, Jets, Vikings, Steelers, Dolphins, or excuse me, Lions, Bears, Browns, Texans. I mean, that's a hell of a stretch. The Vikings and Steelers games could go either way, but Dol the Dolphins will definitely be favored in every other game, again, with the Browns as a huge fucking question mark in these episodes. But then, at the end of the season, we come back into a real grind. They have a stretch at the end of the season, five out of the last six weeks, where they have 49ers, Chargers, Bills, Packers, Patriots. That's fucking tough, too. So they, they have these two stretches that are just kind of brutal, and then they have a lot of pretty easy, stackable wins in the middle. So that's interesting to me. They have a week 11 bye, which is a pretty good situation, kind of a nice middle gap in that season where if they are getting ready for a playoff push, that might be a good time to have a week off. Their win total is at eight and a half, and I have a tough time uh, not taking this over. I'll probably have a ticket on this. It's worth noting the Patriots were also at eight and a half. The over for the Patriots was shaded at minus 115. The Dolphins, on the other hand, minus 135 on the over. So the book's indicating something that maybe the public is not seeing in terms of, yes, they're both at an 8.5 win total, but they're shading the Dolphins as a little bit more of a likely team to eclipse that win total. So that's interesting to me. The book's maybe favoring the Dolphins over the Patriots in that division right now. Something to pay attention to. Uh, the under for the win total is plus 115, but I do like that over 8.5. As I mentioned, they do have a couple tough streaks here on this, on this schedule, but I mean, you know, the Jets, I'm counting as two wins until I see any sort of life out of that organization. Uh, we got beatable teams like the Bears, Vikings, Steelers, Browns, Lions here, and you just, you know, the Patriots, it's not a loss, it's not a win, it could go either way. They could even steal one from the Bills. They seem to do that randomly at times, so it's just about really taking care of the five or six easy wins on their schedule and then just grabbing three more in the games that are maybe challengeable but winning or winnable excuse me and i think this miami team might sneak up on some teams a little bit again not really being much of a contender in recent history but i think the new coaching staff is really going to give this team some energy and i think that there it might take some time for the league to adjust to maybe the new look dolphins offense because they have a lot of speed on this offense and I trust Mike McDaniel to be able to use his scheme and use his weapons and turn this into a really efficient offense despite the fact that you know maybe they aren't stretching the field that much I mean there's the skepticism on Tua's deep ball to be honest I'm fucking sick of hearing about it because the jokes are just 
it's low hanging fruit at this point, and it's 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 like everybody wants to make the Tua joke, and oh, Tyreek's gonna be fucked because he doesn't have the deep ball. But I really think Mike McDaniel is gonna be able to put these guys in position to succeed. You know, Tua to me reminds me a little bit of a more mobile Jimmy Garoppolo, and you know we saw a lot of success from the 49ers with essentially a game manager at quarterback. I think Tua's got relatively similar, you know, arm skill set in terms of being accurate, short and intermediate, and he can actually extend plays a little bit. So realistic, I think Tua can be better than Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't want to put that ceiling on him, but if he even gives like a Jimmy Garoppolo level performance of consistency and just be a game manager and just don't put the team in bad situations, I think McDaniel can handle it from there and put him in advantageous positions where he doesn't have to be a superstar. He doesn't have to make plays on every single down. He just needs to manage the offense, I think. So I'm optimistic about this team. I definitely like them to go over that eight and a half wins. Um, <clears throat> their conference and Super Bowl odds and stuff like that, I'm not getting too bullish. It's just year one here, and there still are a lot of question marks. What if I'm wrong about Tua, and what if this team is just fucking just crawling through the season like oh man this offense just can't get going you know it's possible we'll see but i'm optimistic i like the over eight and a half wins division plus 450 conference plus 2000 super bowl plus 4000 not really crazy about any of that stuff here playoffs plus 140 now again i'm not sure i'm willing to get all the way in the wheelbarrow and jump all the way in on this team to make the playoffs this year in mcdaniel's first year as a head coach but i will say um their odds to make the playoffs plus 140 again if we can compare that to the patriots from yesterday's episode they were at plus 160 so again these both these teams have an eight and a half win total but the over for the dolphins is minus 135 compared to minus 115 for the patriots and the dolphins to make the playoffs is plus 140 while the books have the patriots at plus 160 so these are the numbers you have to pay attention to here because although again Oh, oh, you know, eight and a half is the win total. They have identical divisional conference and Super Bowl odds, but their odds to go over the win total and their odds to make the playoffs do not match. So, yeah, I'll lean with the books a little bit right now. I mean, I know I talked yesterday about how consistent the Patriots are, but I find myself kind of almost having an emotional kind of, I want, I really want to see this Dolphins team be a fun team this year. I'm really in on Mike McDaniel as a head coach. And so I'm kind of, I'm trying to talk myself into really riding this team a little bit here as uh, you know, not only a win total, but maybe, maybe a playoff contender. Maybe we'll see that San Francisco offense has had, uh, you know, a lot of success really with some mediocre players. I mean, that running back group in San Francisco has been one of the, the top performing uh, backfields in the NFL over the last five years or so. And really, they just do it with, you know, a, a hodgepodge of fill-in guys. You know, Raheem Moster and, the you know, Jeff Wilson, Elijah Mitchell. Like, it really doesn't matter who they plug in there. Shanahan just seems to find a guy that can play in his system. And I think Mike McDaniel bringing that similar offense in here. I just I have high expectations for this offense. I'm kind of excited about it. So let's talk fantasy and let's get the fuck out of here. You know, you guys can tell that I'm excited about this offense. Let's talk about the specific players. So, you know, the, the, the names that I'll be going over here, and there's a couple that we won't spend that long on, just like most of these episodes. But we're going to talk about Tua. 
Um, we're going to cover three running backs. Again, one of them not so much. But we got Chase Edmonds, Raheem Moster, and Sony Michelle to discuss a little bit here in that running back room. The wide receivers we'll be talking about are Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and again, Cedric Wilson, that free agent signing from the Cowboys. And then Mike Gesicki rounds out our fantasy discussion at the tight end position. Uh, honorable mentions for this offense. Um, backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. Miles Gaskin, the running back, essentially the starter the last two years, is still on the roster, but he's buried at number four on the depth chart. I'm not sure he even makes the team after training camp. Um, wide receiver Lynn Bowden is on the team. He's a converted half running back, half wide receiver in college. Um, don't expect him to have a big role, but he's a guy that can do some fun stuff in terms of gadget plays. And like I said, Shanahan, McDaniel, I think they know how to use guys creatively. We saw Debo Samuel getting the ball in space on end arounds and screens and things like that all the time. And I don't know. I just want to mention some of the weapons because I think McDaniel could pull some shit out of his ass this season. Tight end Durham Smythe is the last honorable mention here. He's good to vulture a couple of Gusecki's touchdowns every season, but he's not a guy you'll touch in fantasy. Um, you probably won't even pick him up if Gusecki gets injured. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the, the players here. We'll start with Tua. Tua's being drafted 127th overall. Some, some leagues he won't be drafted. Um, he's currently the quarterback 17 off the board. So again, depending on your league, depending on the guys that you play with, the size of your league, he might not be drafted. Um, last year, he was being drafted the overall 163, so definitely not drafted. He finished the quarterback 21. Um, excuse me, he was being drafted as the quarterback 21. He actually finished as a QB 26 because he only played 13 games. Uh, he was the 24th quarterback in points per game. He also has a different, difficult schedule on fantasy quarterbacks this year, uh, 26th easiest schedule. So tough schedule there, and again, he's really more of a game manager. I made the Jimmy Garoppolo comparison, and I really like that. I think the, the highest potential upside for Tua um, is like almost like a, a Ryan Tannehill-esque kind of stat line and, and maybe even career. Because um, Tannehill's put up some pretty decent efficiency numbers the last two years, but he's not a guy who's going to lead the league in yards or touchdowns because it just doesn't fit the offense he is he's in, and it doesn't fill his his skill set. Tannehill also has a little bit of legs. Tua clearly has some mobility to him. Uh, really, if Tua is going to have any sort of I think impact on fantasy football, he's going to have to sneak in some rushing touchdowns. Maybe they want to fuck with some read option stuff around the goal line because he does have that ability. But I'm not sure that's really the kind of offense that McDaniel is going to be implementing, so I don't really know. I don't love Tua for a fantasy standpoint. Again, I think he's Jimmy Garoppolo with more legs, um, and Jimmy's not really a fantasy guy that you want. I think he's going to play point guard on this, on this team. I think he's going to distribute the ball, and so maybe not. And again, it's going to be a run-first offense, so I don't love Tua for fantasy. But I, don't, I also don't want people shitting on Tua anymore. Like I think he's an NFL quarterback. I think he's going to be the starter for this team for at least a couple more years. Um, it's going to be interesting when contract negotiations are up, and I, I guess that will be the case next summer. If he, you know, he goes through this full year as a starter, we're going to have to talk money next year. Um, but Tua is not dog shit, and people just rip on him all the time. 
I mean, can we go back to him replacing Jalen Hurts at Alabama and like being the Heisman front runner for an entire season in college football? The guy has a skill set. The guy's super athletic, and he was launching deep balls at Bama too. So let's just let's not act like the guy's a fucking bum, okay? I think he can man this offense and again play that point guard distributor role. Um, as far as last year's performance, played 13 games, was only a top six QB once. Um, that's, you know, a consistency rank of 7.7, 27th best in the NFL. He was a top 12 QB, 30.8% of his starts. That's 22nd best in the NFL. Outside of that, he busted, or he fell outside of the top 12, um, 68% of the time. He was a QB 13 through 24, 53.8% of the time. And he busted outside of the top 25, 15.4%. Uh, again, I'm not drafting to a, maybe a, a, two QB league, but again, his upside is so limited in my opinion. Um, really he, if, again, he might be able to get you some weeks where, you know, Tyreek or Waddle bust a couple of long touchdowns and you get some bonus value, but he's not going to be consistently performing for fantasy. I, re I really don't think, um, we'll get into the running backs here. And this is, uh, you know, I'm excited about this. This is actually a player that I'm targeting big time. This I'll just tell you guys right away. I'm really hoping that my fantasy leagues don't listen to my podcast. But I'm in on Chase Edmonds this year in this Miami offense as a fantasy asset. Uh, last year, being drafted 98th overall, running back 34. Excuse me. This year being drafted 98 overall running back 34 last year being drafted overall 62 running back 24 he finished 34 overall after only playing 12 games he was 37th in fantasy points per game at the running back position so you know not great I guess but again only 12 games um he was splitting Reps with James Conner in Arizona, and Conner was getting all the goal line work, so it's not a surprise he wasn't putting up huge fantasy numbers. But I think he's probably the best fit for this Dolphins offense this year. He clearly has the best pass-catching skill set out of anyone in their backfield, which we know is super valuable. Pa you know, passing up, re receiving opportunities are more valuable than rushing opportunities for fantasy football. Not only does it give you the PPR point, but... Uh, also mo more likely to get you an open space downfield with more uh, yak opportunity. Um, and Edmonds, I think, could very easily be the lead. Maybe not bell cow, because they probably will mix in guys a little bit, but I think Edmonds has an opportunity to take almost like an Austin Eckler-type leap this year in terms of um, being like a backup relegated to the third down pass catching role and then finally getting a chance to be the main guy and then doing really fucking well at it. I'm interested in him. Uh, like I said, this the, the San Francisco offense just puts up fantasy points at the at the running back position, and I think Edmonds is my clear pick to take this over. Raheem Mostert's the next guy in mind, and you know he had a really good run a couple of years in San Francisco, but he has been plagued by injury trouble throughout you know a majority of his career. He's getting towards that age where you know running backs do start to drop off pretty significantly. I will uh, Google his age real quick, but um, I'm pretty sure he's getting close to that 30 mark, 30-year uh, uh, benchmark, excuse me. Yeah, he's 30 years old, and he's had injury problems. He's been a journeyman running back who really only had success once he was put, plugged into the best running system in the NFL. He's fast, but I think uh, his window 
was very short and, uh, you know, good for him, but I, I don't see it really being a consistent thing. I see him being there because he knows the system. You know, we'll see if he's even healthy after a big knee injury last year. Um, last year he was being, excuse me, this year he's being drafted 157th overall, f- running back 52, essentially undrafted. Last year, people were really in on him. Overall, average draft position, 67, running back 28. Only played one game, busted his knee in the first game of the season, didn't do shit. Finished overall 153, not that that matters. We're not going to have any consistency rankings on Moster either because, again, he played maybe a quarter of football last year. Um, Again, running back at 30 years old, trying to overcome a lower body injury that cost him an entire season. I won't be investing in that at all. And... Again, with the lack of competition here, you've got Mostert, Michelle, and Gaskin. This is Edmonds' backfield to lose, and I think there's a huge opportunity for a fantasy value. Uh, like I said, he's being drafted 98th overall, running back 34 this year. You can get probably the starting running back for the Miami Dolphins in the 8th, ninth round of your fantasy draft. I'm targeting him in every one of my drafts. Sony Michelle, we're not even going to talk about. He's third string on this team. And I just don't care about him. Just not wasting your time or mine. The last thing I'll say about this running back group, they have the third easiest schedule for fantasy football this year. And I've already laid out the case of how dominant this zone running scheme is and how Mike McDaniel is going to be able to get the most out of the weapons that he has around him. I think Chase Edmonds could be a very effective, uh, you know, late to mid-round running back value and breakout player this year. I like it a lot. So let's talk about the wide receivers, and this is a little bit more difficult to forecast, right? We got Tyreek Hill, we got Waddle, we got Cedric Wilson, who you won't be drafting in your in your fantasy leagues. He's going undrafted. He's the wide receiver 109 this year in drafts, but he's a guy to be relevant or a guy to be aware about. He actually finished as the uh, fantasy wide receiver 45 last year, 55th in points per game at the position. Um, but you know, all in all, he had some um, productive weeks. Granted you know, in a higher passing volume offense, but he's a talented player and especially be available, be aware of him. If uh, Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle go down this season, I don't know if this offense is really going to sustain three receivers. Like I said, it's going to be a run first offense, but be aware of him. Now Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are the two main pieces that we want to talk about here. Obviously Tyreek Hill, it's going to be tough to discuss his consistency metrics. Metrics. We'll go through it a little bit, but again, changing teams, changing quarterbacks, changing systems, it's kind of a coin flip, right? Last year, excuse me, this year he's being drafted overall player 19, wide receiver 7. Last year he was overall player 13, wide receiver 2. So he's dropped five spots in the receiver ranking as guys like Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson pass him this year with the shift in the offense. Uh, last year being drafted wide receiver 2, finished as the wide receiver 6. Played 17 full games, finished 7th in points per game at the receiver position. So Tyreek, we'll talk about his consistency. And really, you know, he was labeled a boomer bust guy early in his career. And then he had a couple year stretch there with Mahomes where he was really just a actual legitimate week to week. You could depend on like at least 15 fantasy points. Um, last year, he went back to that boomer bust category. Now, we saw with the Chiefs early in the season, their offense was kind of struggling. They were almost forcing the deep ball too much. Um, really took them a little while to figure it out last year as it looked like some of the defenses around the league had kind of made some adjustments to their game plan. 
Um, Tyreek Hill uh, last year finished as a top 12 wide receiver 35.3% uh, of the time, which was eighth best. But he only finished as a wide receiver two. That's 13 to 24 on the week. 5.9%. That's one game. So the times where he didn't finish top 12, he busted completely. He finished top 24 only 41.2% of the time. That was 24th best in the league, drafted as the wide receiver two. And he finished between uh, wide receiver 25 and 36, so a wide receiver three on the week 11.8% of the time. He busted outside of the top 36 in 47.1% of his games last year, playing a full season, mind you. So that's not good. That's not good at all. That's very concerning to me as a guy, you know, that's still going to cost you a second round pick in fantasy drafts. I was trying to talk myself into taking Tyreek at a discount this offseason because to me, like I said, I want to be a believer in Tua. I don't want to believe that the drop off between Mahomes and Tua is going to be that drastic for fantasy value. But with his bust rates, and the fact that you don't exactly know how much of a target share he's going to get in this offense with Waddle, you know, already having a lot of chemistry with Tua and already having been there a year. And this pro this is clearly the best receiver Tyreek's ever played with. I mean, Travis Kelsey's a tight end. That doesn't count. There's been nobody on the other side. So it's going to be interesting, you know, like I said, I tried to talk myself into buying the dip on Tyreek, but in the second round, I'm still not. I don't think I'm really interested in him this year. I think this offense is going to be probably better for real life football than for fantasy um, because, again, the receivers, it's tough to predict. I trust the running backs, I trust Edmonds. But there is sneakily a lot of mouths to feed here. And it's like in Kansas City, it was, it was Tyreek. And it was Kelsey, and then nobody else really mattered. And I think this ball is going to get spread around a little bit more in this offense, and that kind of scares me a little bit. I'm not sure I'll have much Tyreek Hill this year, and I know the public's down on him too. I don't like to generally just go along with public consensus, but I'm not as high on Tyreek this year. If I'm going to take a receiver in this offense, it's going to be Waddle. Uh, simply because of the draft cost difference. Um, he's being drafted overall 47 wide receiver 16 as opposed to wide receiver 7 in the second round this year. You could probably get him you know, closer to the 4th or 5th round, potentially, depending on your drafts. And that's a much, that's a much safer draft cost, in my opinion. Uh, had a real breakout season as a rookie, was being drafted 105 overall and 45th at the receiver position last year. Finished wide receiver 13. Uh, played 16 games, finished 16th in points per game. We'll go to his uh, consistency. He was a top 12 receiver 18.8% .8 of the time. That was 29th best in the NFL. He was a wide receiver 2, uh, 13 through 24 on the week, 25% um, of the time. That's 12th most in the NFL. Um, and then this is the real kicker for me. He was a top 24 wide receiver, 43.8% of the time. That's 22nd best in the NFL. I just said Tyreek Hill only did that 41% of the time, which was 24th best. So even though you got Waddle last year with the 105th pick compared to the 19th pick, you got a more consistent wide receiver out of it. So that's that's weird to me. And I think... A lot of it, 
that the reason that I trust Waddle more this year is because the way that Waddle was productive last year was on a PPR scale. It was a volume play, right? I think he set the rookie receiving record for receptions in a season. And it's pretty clear that that's his skill set is to be used underneath like that and get the ball into his hands and, and make guys miss. And I'm not saying that Tyreek Hill doesn't have that skill set. I actually think, you know, it, they both have a fantastic elite ability to do that. It's just that we've seen Waddle used like that previously where we haven't necessarily seen that from Tyreek. I think I trust him a little bit more. Again, if these guys are both going in the second round, I'll probably take Tyreek over him based on talent and what we've seen. But if you're telling me I can get Waddle two rounds later, I'll probably take that discount, and that's probably the guy I'm looking to target in the receiving room. Um, again, both of these guys I think will be fine. I think they'll both make plays for real-life football, and I, I think this offense will be exciting. For me, it's difficult to predict from a fantasy perspective when and where you're going to get those points. Um, but I again, I've mentioned I really trust McDaniel to be able to put these guys in a good position. I've heard people talk about how, you know, the offense in San Francisco was – you know, they had big physical guys like Debo and Kittle. But again, not a lot of their shit was based off of jump balls and downfield targets. It was really a lot of let's get Debo in space and let's just have him make people miss. And it's pretty clear to me that Waddle and Hill both have the speed and the run after catch ability to do that in this offense. I'm really excited about Chase Edmonds from a breakout perspective. You know, when you get a, a running back that's that fluent in pass catching and now is expected to see an increase in carries as well and, and potentially even goal line opportunities. I mean, like I said, James Conner was stealing all his touchdowns last year. If we can get, you know, Chase Edmonds up to six, eight rushing touchdowns, this guy could be an elite fantasy running back for me. So those are my thoughts. You know, I've got, I, I guess we'll finish with Mike Gusecki. I didn't really talk about him. Look, I'm not in on Mike Gusecki for fantasy this year. Let's run through it real quick. I don't think this offense sustains, um, you know, potentially two top 15 wide receivers, you know, potentially a top 15 running back, and then also gives you a top 10 tight end. Probably not with the volume that's going to be expected here. Um, Gesicki, uh this year, overall player 112, uh, tight end 12 coming off the board. Last year, overall 108, tight end 11. Actually finished at tight end 8 last year, um, but I think a lot of it was just due to him staying healthy. A lot of tight ends were banged up. He played 15 games, and he finished 16th at points per game. So, again, finished 8th at the position, but only 16th in points per game. We get some other guys staying healthy, getting extended playing time. I think Gusecki falls down the ranks this year. Finished top six, only 17.6% of the time. It was 17th best in the NFL. So, again, not reflecting that top eight finish. Um, he was inside the top 12, 35.3% of the time, 18th best amongst tight ends. So, again, not good. Um, finished outside the top 12, 65% uh, of the time. So, not not loving it. Not loving it as far as a volume perspective. Not loving it as far as the tight end having a big role in this offense. I mean, Kittle was elite in San Francisco, but Gesicki's not Kittle. And even Kittle had games where he would disappear at times. So that's where I'm at. I really like Edmonds. I like Waddle at his cost. I think Tyreek is being overdrafted, but I don't. I think both will be very good for football in real life 
this year. And I think this Dolphins team will be much, much more fun to watch. I really didn't spend a whole lot of time on their defense, but they have some pretty strong defensive personnel too, specifically in that secondary. I really like the, the trio of Byron Jones, uh, Xavier Howard, and uh, Javon Holland, I believe second-year safety out of Oregon, who I I think is a very good player, former second-round pick, if he can continue to develop. um, I think this team has uh, enough personnel to be very competitive this year, and again, with the boost of the new coach, I think they'll have some energy. I think they will... Um, you know, I hate the term new look Dolphins, but this is very much a new look team, you know, changing coaching, big splash acquisitions, tons of free agent spending. I'm really excited to see what this team looks like. I'm done really giving you guys analysis. I'm just rambling about how excited I am. So let's wrap this up. Really looking forward to seeing what Mike McDaniel does with this. If you guys don't know anything about McDaniel, look into him. He's a fascinating character. Even if you don't like the guy, at the very least, he's an interesting one for sure. So look into him. Look into this Dolphins team. Don't sleep on them. I like them to go over their win total. I like there to be some fantasy-relevant pieces. I like this offense to be a little bit more invigorated this season. That's going to do it for me here. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. I will continue. We're going to wrap up the New York Jets uh, this weekend. You guys are going to obviously get this Dolphins episode on Saturday. The New York Jets will be coming out Sunday for you. And then Monday, we are going to be rolling into the NFC East. So get ready for that. That's always a fun division. We got my Eagles in there. We get to shit on the Dallas Cowboys for an entire 45 minutes. That should be fun. Thanks again, guys. I'm peacing out. Ramble on.